the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. Eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we're ready to rock and roll on Friday. I would like to call it a free-for-all Friday, but it is a very, very jam-packed Friday. But I wouldn't just jam-pack it with anybody. I would jam-pack it only with people that I think you need to hear from. So we've got a very, very packed show today. I do welcome your thoughts when you can. Hit them where they ain't. Pick and choose your spots. Those spots would include uh, before and after the following guests. Coming up on the program uh, in about a half an hour at uh, 9.35, we're going to start it off with Alexandra DeSanctis. We're going to talk to Pastor Jeff Toring at 1010. We're going to talk to former Ohio State Representative Christina Hagen at 1035. And we're going to talk to David Safavian. That'll be at 1110. I will give you more details about all of those interviews and what they will entail uh, coming up shortly. But I am a little bit pressed for time now. Because of all of those interviews, I don't have a ton of time to present you the information that I have for you. And I do want to get there. So I'm going to ask you now to go ahead and stand if you are a patriot who believes in doing this, even though no one's around, even though it's by yourself and you might feel silly 
I know too many people who have told me they absolutely love this for me to ever stop doing it. I'm going to ask you to stand and face a flag, wherever you may have one, and I'm going to ask you to put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are not a believer in the liberty for which that flag stands, if you are not a believer, if you are not proud of America, and I say that with a a good intention, because we're about to have a story about that, If you are truly not proud of the nation in which you live, for one reason or another, don't fake it. You are exempted from this request to say the Pledge of Allegiance. You go ahead and take a knee in your kitchen or wherever it is that you may be and pretend you're next to your favorite anti-American ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So I, I've got so many different things to try to um, to get through here in this first half hour of the broadcast. Let me start with, with pride. This is something that just shocked me until it didn't. There's a new Fox poll that was just released yesterday. Fox News poll asking voters, now they didn't ask yesterday, they asked in the first week of June, I believe it was, correction, second week of June. This survey was conducted June 10th through the 13th, a national uh, survey. And um, they just released this yesterday, and the question was about national pride. And why, of course, would I not bring this up on the beginning of our Independence Day weekend? time that we used to stare in awe at fireworks and the representation of the liberty that was fought for and won by our forefathers. Why would we not talk about pride at a time when we look at that American flag with reverence, understanding what it represents, liberties, freedoms, opportunities that no one has anywhere else in the world? That is not to say there are no other free countries in the world. I know a lot of people bristle at that. We're not saying there aren't other free countries in parts of the world no one has the same thing we do if they did then quite obviously there would be lines of people swarming the borders to get into these other countries from around the world instead they gather at our southern border and of course since it's wide open now they feel free to just stroll right on in but nonetheless american pride which used to be something that was never, ever in question by a majority of this country, is down significantly here in this new survey. The poll asked voters, are you proud of the country today? Only 39% of Americans, as we head into this Independence Day weekend and the celebration of the birth of this country on Monday, 39% said yes. That's down 12 points from the last time that question was asked in 2017. So five years later, 12 points fewer in terms of the number of people who said yes, they are proud of this country. That question has only been asked four times. This is the first time a majority feels disappointed in the country and not proud. 56% say they are not proud up from 45% in 2017, 28% in 2011. 
Now, we can break this down by political party, and it's fine to do that. Independents and Republicans reversed their position since 2017, while formerly not proud Democrats are now on the fence. In 2017, Republicans, by a 31-point margin, 31 points, and Independents, by four points, say they were proud. Today, both groups feel disenchanted with the country. Declared Republicans by 24 points, Independents by 35 points. Democrats were 17 points more likely to be disappointed in the country in 2017. Now they're split. 46% are proud, 48% are not. Men reversed positions. They were more likely to be proud in 2017 by 22 points, whereas now they are not proud by 14 points. That's a mammoth shift. Women were dissatisfied with the country in 2017 and will remain so today by a wider margin. They were not proud by nine points five years ago. Now, 21 points underwater in the Pride Department. Black voters remain in the not proud column, though that margin is shrinking from a 28-point margin five years ago to a nine-point margin today. The opposite is true of Hispanic voters. So it's enough of the numbers. Let's talk about what they mean. I've been trying to figure this out since I saw the story reported yesterday. We have opportunity in this country unlike anything that exists anywhere else in the world. This is the place where people come to pursue their dreams. They call it the American dream. They do not call it the uh, Ukrainian dream. They do not call it the, um, I don't know, South African dream. They don't call it a Canadian dream. People come from around the world to come and pursue the American dream because it's different here. Opportunities exist here that do not exist anywhere else in the world. People, diverse people, races and ethnicities of all types have more opportunities to come and achieve and succeed and survive and thrive here, unlike anywhere else in the world. I mean, it it literally is the destination point. If anybody was going to leave their home country and say, where would you rather live? They're going to say the United States of America. Yet Americans are not proud of being here. And some overwhelming numbers. And it makes me ask the question, why? And I think the answer is probably twofold, maybe more, but twofold, two primary reasons I want to discuss. One is people have no earthly idea what's going on around the world. They don't travel. They haven't visited other countries. They haven't studied. They haven't even gone online to look at videos of other countries and to see some of the chaos and to see some of the abject poverty and the corruption and the horrible things happening around the world. And people have no way out. No way out. They have no opportunities. That's why they're desperate to get out of there and come here. Congratulations, Kamala Harris. I just found your root cause. But but that's only part of the story, people not being aware of some of the horrific conditions in nations around the world. The other part of the story is, I believe that the agenda of the American left is indeed being accomplished their intention to describe and to teach and to educate the American people on the awful horrible nature of this country it is working 
the United States of America is teaching its people through the mainstream legacy media, through the educational system, through corporate woke policies, that the United States is irredeemably racist. How can you be proud of a country that doesn't believe black lives matter on a national scale? How can you be proud of a country that can, that can uh, allow a police officer to take George Floyd's life? How can you be proud of a country in which white men still have the greatest opportunity to get the job that they want, enjoying privilege that nobody else has? How can you be proud of a country that doesn't accept naked gay men running around in front of children in schools and, uh, and, and, and on the streets during Pride Month How do you, and not support that and not applaud that? How can you be proud, if you're not proud, of the Pride Month celebrators? How can you be proud of a country in which inequality exists on such high levels? We are being taught, not just our children in the schools, to hate this country. How can you be proud of a country, by the way, that once participated in slavery? How can you be proud of a country that was born as a slave nation? Never mind the fact that millions of people dedicated and sacrificed their lives to end that awful institution, to provide freedom and opportunity for all. Never mind that fact. It happened. And because it happened, well, there are people today that deserve reparations, and they're not getting them. How can you be proud of this? I think the day after day after day assault on American institutions... I think the indoctrination at the school level, the propaganda mission at the media level, and at the government level, I think they have, they're, they're, they're paying huge dividends for the American left. They are creating a nation of people who don't like their country. Why would they want to do that? What's the end game there? I hope you already know the answer. Barack Obama told us what the end game was. Barack Obama told us fundamental transformation, change at the foundational level, the erasure of the nation as it exists, and the recreation or rebuilding of it in the model that they believe in. The model that they support, the Marxist socialist model that they believe is utopian. How can you possibly tear down a country and rebuild it without making the people who live in it despise it? That's step one. If you're going to tear the country down in order to fundamentally transform it, you have to remove the people who are defending it. It's kind of like a military battle. There is a war of attrition. One side needs to take out as many of the other side's defensive forces in order to advance, to take the next hill, to take the next town, whatever the case might be. If you want to defeat your enemy 
to achieve your objective in war, you have to kill as many of your enemies as possible. Remove the defensive forces from the, the, the agenda or the goal uh, that you are trying to achieve. Don't let them defend. Well, it's the same thing here, but just for the most part, replace the word kill. Replace the word kill in terms of physical death with the word destroy their self-esteem, destroy their sense of country, destroy their sense of patriotism, destroy their sense of belief in American exceptionalism. Use those words, and it all makes sense. Who is in the way of Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Alexandria Damasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders, all of them? Who is in the way of them deconstructing this country and rebuilding it as a as a gangrene, you know, Green New Deal, globalist-run organization in which the people that have enjoyed independence and freedom for 250 years are now subjugated to the whims of a global world order. Who's standing in the way of that? Well, you are. I am. The American people are. The American people who may remember American greatness, may remember American exceptionalism, but now no longer find it so exceptional. Now no longer find it so great. And now maybe just not worth fighting for. I was astounded by this poll. 39% of 330 million Americans do not feel pride in this country. I, I never in my lifetime could have imagined that. And that's because they have taught and indoctrinated and propagandized all of the pride right out of us. Right out of us. If we're not proud of a country, why would we want to put ourselves at risk in defending it? In any way, not necessarily at battle, but if we're not proud of the country, and you can go and extend it to that as well if you wish, but in a general sense, if we are not proud of this country, why would we fight to keep it as is? If we are convinced that this country is irredeemably racist and bigoted and unfair and oppressive and needs to bow to the will of the globalists, if we believe that, it'll be that much easier for them to achieve it. This is an astounding look. It's only a snapshot in time. But in the last five years, since 2017, all and I will tell you this too, just super quick, before we take our time out here. I believe that the Democrats, while trying to teach proud Americans to sacrifice, to give up, to surrender, to change that pride, to, to lose that pride in country. I think a lot of them probably felt the same way during the Trump years. Probably felt that during the time of good and plenty, massive wage growth, massive tax drops, unprecedented unemployment numbers for everyone of every racial demographic, of both sexes, and there are two. Didn't matter about all of the successes we had under the Trump administration. They hated him, and so therefore they hated their country over it. 
They have continued in their mission to try to make everyone else hate this country as well. This white, privileged, racist country that oppresses minorities and celebrates decadence. That is what they believe. It's uh, 925. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Again, I've got a lot of guests, so I'm probably not going to take a lot of calls today. But if you've got the time to go to the website, alwayswrite.us, click on the sound off button there and tell me, are you still proud of America? And why do you think only 39% of Americans answered that question in the affirmative? Only 39% of Americans say, yes, I'm proud on this Independence Day weekend to be an American, proud of the United States of America. Sound off at alwayswrite.us. We'll play those when the opportunities arise in uh, between our guests. Let me hear from you. Let me hear your pride. On Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 929. As I said, we've got a lot of guests to talk to today, and they're very important. I mentioned the name of Alexandra DeSanctis in my open and my introduction. I uh, did not mention the name of her co-author of the book that we're going to be discussing. Ryan T. Anderson will be with us as well. Al- Alexandra and Ryan are the co-authors of the upcoming Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. We're going to get their reaction to the Dobbs decision and to the efforts that are being made right now by the far left to undo that decision, including calls for, and yes, Joe Biden made that statement, in a foreign country yesterday, completely denigrating the Supreme Court of the United States and thus the government of the United States. You attack one-third of it, you attack all of it. But his uh, declaration that he believes that we should indeed abolish the legislative filibuster so that they can codify Roe versus Wade into law. So we're going to get the thoughts of Ryan Anderson and Alexandra DeSanctis coming up right after the news on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 938 as we continue, AM 1420, The Answer. So the um, ramifications, the fallout, and all of the hand-wringing continues over last Friday. It's been one week now uh, since the reversal of Roe versus Wade. It was announced by the, uh, uh, by the Supreme Court. The Dobbs decision was enormous. The decision to overturn Roe was even bigger. And uh, now the Democrats are doing anything and everything they can to try to, uh, uh, I don't know, save face with their base, including Joe Biden, the president of the United States on foreign soil, criticizing vociferously the United States Supreme Court and declaring it's time to end our filibuster rules. The most important thing to be clear about is we have to change, I believe we have to codify Roe v. Wade in the law, and the way to do that is to make sure that Congress votes to do that. And if the filibuster gets in the way, it's like voting rights, it should be, we provide an exception for this, the, the required exception to the filibuster. For this action. Bad news for Biden, good news for the country is at least two, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema continue to be strong no's on the issue of abolishing or nuking the filibuster rule simply to get a temporary outcome. Joining us now to talk a little bit more about all of this, um, I, I gave you two names, uh, Ryan T. Anderson, uh, Ethics and Public Policy Pres- uh, Center President and the author of When Harry Became Sally, and Alexandra DeSantis, National Review Writer and EPPC. EPPC 
fellow. That's the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Uh, but Alexandra is on the line with us right now. I'm not sure if we'll be able to get Ryan to join us or not. So, Alexandra DeSanctis, thank you for joining me this morning. How are you? Great to be with you. Yeah, my co-author, I think, got held up on another meeting. So it'll be me today. No problem. Very much looking forward to talking to you then about the book that you are co-writing with Ryan, which is called Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. Now, I want to talk a little bit about that subtitle, uh, but first I just want to get your reaction to what you just heard. Um, The left has been so apoplectic uh, since the decision was made by the court to allow, and people need to understand this, again, it cannot be repeated enough, they did not end abortion in the United States of America, the Supreme Court. They simply returned the question to the people by way of their own... um, uh, uh, their own uh, representation at the state legislative levels. So Joe Biden is essentially saying that's not good enough. Um, We don't want the people to decide. We don't want the states to decide. We want to codify this federally. And to do that, we have to abolish the filibuster rule. What is your response to their desperate uh, attempts here, uh, Alexandra? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I'm not terribly surprised by it. I think that that pro-abortion Democrats and and pro-abortion activists have gotten used to having their uh, will on abortion just enforced by the court, right? They haven't had to work for it for 50 years. They haven't had to convince anybody that abortion on demand is a good thing. They haven't had to pass any laws to defend it. It's just been, you know, the Supreme Court with this stranglehold on the issue. And now that it turns out, uh, you know, the issue has been returned to the people and people can actually vote on abortion, uh, Democrats don't like it because they don't want to make the case for unlimited abortion. They prefer to have it imposed uh, by judicial fiat. They, they they certainly do, um, and some of the desperate measures they're willing to go to, um, Alexandra uh, Ocasio-Cortez was one yesterday who called for an end to the Hyde Amendment. First, we're going to nuke the filibuster. Now she wants to end the Hyde Amendment, which, of course, prevents uh, federal tax dollars from being used for abortions, so that they can put pop-up abortion clinics on federal lands and federal parks, tribal lands, and other places that are not governed by by, by states. Uh, wh- wh- why so desperate? I mean, I mean, literally, we we knew this was a possibility. They had to know this was a possibility. But I think these are desperate measures that they are taking just uh, to you know to to support. I guess I, I hate to say it in as, as graphic terms, but but they 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 really really do enjoy the 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 idea of abortion as uh, as contraception, abortion as family planning, abortion not in emergency needs where it's safe and and legal and rare, as they used to say, but on demand and without apology. That really is the new position of the party, um, and I don't know exactly how they became so extreme. But you know, to, to uh, go with your point on the Hyde Amendment, look at Joe Biden. I mean, he used to be oh. uh, he called called himself personally pro life. He used to support the Hyde Amendment. Flip flopped on that when running for president because supporting Hyde, supporting conscience rights or pro-life taxpayers is not something Democratic politicians are willing to do anymore. No, that is, and, and it's bizarre how far they have gone. And, and uh, you know, Biden is a great example of it personally. I mean, he used to say, I do not see abortion as a right. We had a clip from him as recently as like 2005. We're not talking about back in the 80s when he was first in the Senate. We're talking about 2005. He said, I do not believe abortion is, uh, is a right. I believe it is something that should be safe, legal, and rare, et cetera. And now it's up on demand without apology. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how we got here. Um, particularly, uh, you know, the, the Supreme Court justice appointments by President Trump. Uh, you know, these, these three individuals are, are 
obviously pro-life. They never denied that they were pro-life. But during their confirmation hearings, they did say, yes, Roe versus Wade is settled law or is uh, settled precedent right now. And now the left thinks impeachment is in order because um, they went ahead and, and cast their votes the way they did on Dobbs. Is there any any room for what the Democrats are talking about here? No, I think that's absolutely crazy. And everybody who follows judicial appointments and nomination confirmation process knows it's inappropriate for, you know, the, the nominees to promise or talk about how they're going to rule in a future case. None of those justices, now justices, said, I will always uphold Roe v. Wade, nor should they have said how they would rule on such a case one way or another, because that's not supposed to be part of the confirmation process. Um, and what they said at the time was true, right? Roe v. Wade was settled. It was precedent. Uh, but there's nothing in the uh, our understanding of what it means to be a Supreme Court justice that says you must always abide by precedent. And in this case, if you read the majority opinion in Dobbs, it's very clear that Roe was bad precedent. Um, it certainly was the law of the land because it had been precedent for 50 years, uh, but it was wrong. Um, and it was wrongly decided there was no right to abortion in the Constitution. And these justices were doing their duty faithfully uh, to vote that way. And there is nothing that says precedent can't be challenged by a future case, which is why they they were you know uh, able to answer the way they were, and they were justified in doing so. We're talking with Alexandra DeSanctis. She is the co-author with Ryan T. Anderson of Tearing Us Apart, uh, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. Let's talk about that part of this a little bit. When we say abortion harms everything, there are... You know, obviously, Democrats and pro-deathers, I don't use the word pro-choice because the opposite of life is not choice. The opposite of life is death. So it's pro-life or pro-death. The pro-deathers um, are arguing there is something good about abortion. It can save a young woman's future. It can sh- save a young couple's uh, future if they got pregnant uh, in an unplanned way, at an un- uh, at an inopportune time for them. Their careers, their educations, et cetera, are going to be put on hold or stopped altogether if they have to stop what they were doing and become parents. Um, abortion can solve that problem. So in your subtitle, it harms everything and solves nothing. How do you respond to those people, Alexandra? Sure. So basically the idea of the book is um, if pro-lifers are right, that abortion is, as you put it, death, if it is the, the killing of an innocent human being, uh, none of us could be better off for having embraced that. And even if you are in a, a situation as a mother or a father with an unplanned pregnancy, it might derail your plan. Um you're not actually, your your life situation is not going to be improved by enacting lethal violence against your own child. Now, that's not to say it might not be more convenient to have a child at a different time, but once you've already brought a child into the world, it's not actually a solution to any set of problems to kill that child. Um, it's deeply wrong, and it, it doesn't actually further your goals, right? If you, if you need help in whatever situation you're in, you should be helped to bring your child into the world, not permitted to kill them. You know, your language is my language, and it's the language of pro-lifers everywhere. You keep talking about the child, and you join me in talking about killing the child, bringing about the death of the child. They don't see it as a child, and they they don't necessarily say when that is. That's why here in Ohio, our default position now is going to be uh, to uh, the heartbeat law, the heartbeat bill that was passed and became law and was signed into law. You know, they're saying essentially that um, at least when a second heart is present, uh, heartbeat is present. Now that means that indicates clearly there's a second being present. There's a second body. It's not just the woman's body and her doctor. There is another body to consider here. But beyond that, and even including that, many of them still say until it passes through the birth canal, it's not a child. I'm still having a healthcare procedure done to me. It's not a. Uh, it's not the the taking of a life. Um, again, how 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 do you and how can people who are uh, caught up in those discussions respond to that? 
Yeah, so we devote the whole first chapter of our book to this, um, and we, we call it the fundamental harm of abortion, as, as you and I have both put it now, killing the unborn child. And we, right. we put forward um, three arguments. The first is a biological argument, right? Scientifically speaking, the entity in the womb is undeniably a living human being. This is a distinct, unique human being with his or her own DNA. This is not a clump of cells, not a part of the mother. Um, second, we argue that this is a human person. Uh, that it's it's wrong to draw lines between which human beings have moral worth and others don't. And that takes us some dangerous places if we want to say that, you know, some human beings are too small to have moral worth or, um, you know, because they're inside their mother's body, they don't have moral worth. Because they're dependent, they don't have moral worth. Um, that's playing a, a dangerous dehumanizing game. And then finally, we put forward a, a political thesis, which is uh, governments exist to protect their citizens. And if all human beings count, if all human beings are, are moral persons, uh, then our government exists to protect everybody, including the unborn. Uh, we're talking with Alexandra DeSanctis, co-author of Tearing Us Apart. It's a regnery book. Uh, I strongly encourage you to get when it becomes available, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, you know, when uh, when when you listen to speeches, and in fact I think books have been written by mothers who have had abortions, or women who have had abortions, rather, who have just regretted it um, and, and repented and just, you know, can never forgive themselves or uh, are always going to, you know, have, suffer from that trauma, if you will, of making that decision. But on the other side, you know, now Hollywood celebrities who have had abortions are coming out and shouting. That's one of the things they say, shout your abortion. And the daughter of a of a, a Hollywood actress uh, yesterday, I believe it was yesterday, at least is when I read it, uh, talked about how proud she is of her mother for having aborted what would have been her sibling, saying that if she had given birth to my sibling, I might not be here because her life wouldn't have been the same. So we're proud of mom's abortion. Um, the, the the dichotomy here, the the, the 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 chasm between those who believe in life and those who believe, who believe in death really cannot be any wider, can it? It is, and you really do see it in in uh, women who talk about their abortions. And as you mentioned, there are lots and lots of women who the abortion activists um, ignore because they regret their abortions and they don't want to talk about the fact that many women suffer after having an abortion. Um, but even in some of the women who are, as you put it, or as they put it, shouting their abortions, you can hear a lot of pain and anger in what they're saying. It's a lot of justification, rationalization, kind of a desire to celebrate. And I don't think that comes from a, a healthy place. I think it's masking a lot of sadness. And I, like I said earlier, I don't deny that, that women are in circumstances that could make abortion seem like a solution. Um, certainly it's true that your, your other children later on down the road might not exist, uh, but that's not an argument for killing a, a human being. Um, and, and that you know, we can't control every aspect of our lives by enacting violence on other people. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is uh, at its core. And there, you know, science has advanced enough so that we can actually see what is done uh, during an abortive procedure, um, and it is indeed committing violence. And it's it's a violent, torturous uh, a death of a, of a living human being. I think that's exactly right. Um, abortion has kind of become contraception in modern culture. You talk about popular culture and you talk about the um you know the the ease with which people now talk about oh gotta go have an abortion uh, you know I, I, I got pregnant got myself knocked up it's almost it's almost as um accepted to to people as you know just taking contraceptive pills or or using other methods it's like oh one slipped by there i gotta go take care of it the casual na- nature with which americans got used to killing babies and again i use that phrasing intentionally the casual nature um of it is 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 just astounding do you think that flipping Roe and putting this in the hands of the states will change that culture? 
I do think it's possible. Um, and the main reason I say that is, look, just to give one example, we've already seen, uh, you know, pro-abortion feminists come out and say, well, we're going to go on a sex strike now because we won't have access to abortion. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so you knew all along, right, how babies come into the world. You understand how this works. Your reproductive choice takes place before a child has come into the world. At that point, you've already reproduced, and you're just killing a child to, to kind of get away from that responsibility or that consequence. Uh, but I think people, it, it changes the way people act. And the way we put it in the book is abortion is the, the ultimate backstop of the sexual revolution mindset or lifestyle, the idea that it's fulfilling to just have sex with whomever, whenever, uh, regardless of whether you're you're willing to welcome a child into the world. And then if there's uh, there happens to be a child, you just kind of get rid of it. Um, and, and it's just this kind of, uh, as you put it, form of emergency contraception. Uh, and I think Roe having been overturned changes the conversation quite a bit. Yeah, I, well, I hope it does. Alexandra DeSanctis is our guest. She is the co-author with Ryan T. Anderson of Tearing Us Apart, How Abortions, uh, Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. Um, Alexandra, I have to ask about the toughest part about all of this. Even pro-lifers, some pro-lifers, say, you know, I do have a really, really hard time telling a, a, a rape victim that they have to carry their rapist baby. I have a hard time telling a young woman who's been the victim of incestual sexual assaults uh, that they have to carry that baby, um, that exceptions do need to, meet, need to be made uh, in those cases. Um, how do you and Ryan address that in the book? Yeah, we do write about this at length. And, of course, we have great compassion for women who are in those circumstances. Rape is an incredibly unjust, horrific act. Uh, but the way we respond to it is to say neither the, the mother in that situation nor the child is, is served by abortion or is better off because of abortion. Um, the, the child who came into the world as a result of that act didn't perpetrate violence against the mother. And turning around and enacting lethal violence on the child uh, doesn't make that, that grave injustice go away, right? The child is not responsible for what happened. Uh, and the mother, the, what happened to the mother is not changed by then committing violence against her child. And so as difficult as it is and as awful as it is, uh, nobody is better off in that situation for punishing the child who happened to come into the world. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's, sad. that's very well said. And, um, you know, there's a morality to this. In fact, let me ask it this way. Is there a difference between religion and morality? And what I, I say that because some of the critics and some of the apoplectic left, they're screaming that the United States is becoming a theocracy because of this decision. Well, this decision and a couple of others in the, uh, uh, in the Supreme Court term as, uh, you know, the right to, the right to pray. The coach Joe Kennedy talked about, uh, um, uh, that case talked about his right to, to say a prayer on the field. Uh, they, they fired him for doing that, saying it was promoting religion. It violated the separation of church and state and so forth. But they're saying that cases like that and then, of course, Roe, uh, are creating a religious theocracy here, and that that is uh, in violation of the Constitution. Is it is it religion, or is it morality, and is there a difference between the two? Yeah, I really appreciate this question, and we, we do get into this in the book, and I would really encourage anyone who's listening who might think this way to buy the book, because they'll be surprised to find there's no citation of the Bible, there's no citation of the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, even though Ryan and I are, are both uh, practicing Catholics, because there's a case to be made against abortion that's different from the religious case, right? I, I happen to believe my church teaching on the subject, uh, but you can make a rational, ethical, philosophical case about it, um, a moral case about it, as you put it, uh, without even getting into religion at all. And we have all sorts of laws. Every law imposes some vision of morality, right? Laws against theft are uh, consonant with Christian theology. Our, our understanding that slavery is wrong 
imposes a certain view of morality. Um, so it's not the case that we're trying to impose our, our Catholic faith or Christian faith or whatever faith on people uh, by prohibiting abortion. We're, we're just echoing the view that, that all human beings have moral worth and deserve to have their rights protected. I'm so glad you guys cover that in the book, and I'm so glad that you did intentionally keep you know your your own Christian or Catholic tenets and uh, preachings out of it. And morality is about a lot more than just one particular religion or even multiple religions. Morality is a human thing that uh, that I think is is at play here that is more important. Alexandra, um, tearing us apart is it is it available now? Do I have this right, or is it still yet to be released? It's available. It came out on Tuesday, so the timing could not have been better. Oh, perfect. Absolutely perfect. Okay, so the book is Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. Look for it by Ryan T. Anderson and Alexandra DeSanctis. Where uh, where can people find it? I'm assuming Amazon. What else? Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I think it's available uh, pretty much anywhere books are sold. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you and Ryan for doing the work, by the way, because there are some uh, there are some language here and there are some concepts here that I think you guys cover that people really need to know because uh, it's a difficult fight and it's a difficult battle and it's a difficult debate that is going to continue, especially now that the uh, court has decided the way that they have. The other side is emboldened and steeled their resolve, so we need to know how to respond to those things, and I think you do a great job here of giving us some of those tools. So, Alexandra, thank you so very much. Tell Ryan we're sorry we missed him, uh, but uh, uh, the best of luck to you going forward. Thank you so much. All right, thank you, Alexandra. That's Alexandra DeSanctis. Ryan T. Anderson is your co-author. Check the book out. Get the book. I do, just get the book. I didn't know it was available yet. Now I do, and I'll be getting it as well. Tearing us apart, how abortion harms everything and solves nothing. And I'll be right back. WHK Cleveland. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. A Patriot Tent Revival. That's what Pastor Jeff is hosting coming up on Sunday. I think that's awesome. We're scheduled to talk to Pastor Jeff Toring. Um, he's supposed to be in our studio here, as a matter of fact. We are trying to make that happen. We're trying to establish contact one way or another uh, so that we can talk about that. I love it. The idea of the churchmen and the statesmen combining uh, to come together to help solve the issues uh, that plague our great country and our community. So uh, if we get Pastor Jeff Toring, I will let you know. Other than that, thank you for joining us for our number two of Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer, and online at alwaysright.us. It is the first morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2022. we got a lot of other things that we're going to get into. So, you know, I, I talked at the open about national pride and why it is that um, only 39% of Americans, when asked by Fox News that they are proud of this country, answered in the affirmative. 39%. I think the Democrats are winning. I think the Democrats and the, the radical leftists and the Marxists among us, I think they're winning. They're using the schools. They're using the media. They're using social media very, very heavily uh, to propagandize and to teach people that America is nothing great. America is no longer great if it ever was great. As a matter of fact, it was born of evil because slavery existed when this country was born, and some of the founding fathers actually owned slaves. It's an irredeemably racist country that continues to oppress people based on their skin color and now based on their gender identifications as well. 
all of these things, the left, I think, has has you know you all of these tools to beat people down into believing that America is not great. America, as a matter of fact, is a very very flawed nation, one that needs what Barack Obama called fundamental transformation. Fundamental transformation means change. If you you don't change things, I've said this before. You don't change things that you like. You don't marry a woman and say, well, now that you're here, I want to perform some fundamental transformation here. I need you to become something different than what you are. No, you marry someone that you love for who they are and what they are. This country does not need to be fundamentally changed into something else. But that's what's happening. I think that's led to a lot of the uh, answers that were given in that uh, in that survey about American pride. And as we head into the 4th of July, into Independence Day on Monday, of course, it's a pretty good time to talk about it. Uh, I'm going to have to pause this line of uh, discussion because I'm told Pastor Jeff Toring is on the line now. Uh, so, Pastor Jeff, uh, good to have you back on the program here on AM 1420, The Answer. I love your commercials all of the time. I particularly loved this most recent one, uh, promoting the Patriot Tent Revival on Sunday. Good morning, Pastor. How are you? Good morning, Bob. It's good. Um, I appreciate you having me with you. Yeah, yeah. It's it's good to have you. I was afraid we were going to miss you today. So, um, I, I was just grabbed. I mean, like I said, you're you have uh, you and I've talked about this before. So, you know, I don't want to I don't wanna beat this dead horse, but I, I, your presentation is so unique. Your presentation just commands attention. The things about you know the things that you speak about rather your biblical quotes your scripture uh your your editorializing and how scripture applies to things today and the way you do it just grabs people's attention and that's what it did here and that's why i wanted to bring you on to talk a little bit about what's going on on sunday uh tell us about this uh unification of churchmen and statesmen that you referenced yes so uh, we we feel and i feel and we launched this last 4th of july and it has made a, a large impact. Um, it has gotten the attention of many of the political leaders, uh, especially state leaders, and even down into the county. But the idea there, especially on the 4th of July, is right at the end of the Declaration of Independence. Um, the writers wrote that we have a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. And so if if they continue to try to eliminate uh church and state mixing together, if they eliminate that divine providence, things will naturally collapse. Uh, A republic has to have uh, moral and divine work in order for it to continue properly. You know, there have been countless examples of um, the influence of the church and of Christianity and of Jesus Christ and of God uh, in you know the writings of our founding fathers, I mean they are all over the place. Historians have cited it. Uh, obviously, theologians and other people of faith have cited it as well. And yet, it just it, it seems to be completely missing in the minds of largely the American left. They don't believe uh, that 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 this country has any sort of moral or divine or even theist. Um, origins at all and they think that we're kind of making this up and that the quote-unquote separation of church and state must be so stark and that 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 wall between the two must be so uh so impenetrable that if somebody tries to bring their faith or morality or their or their uh, uh their their belief systems into uh into public discussions that they're off base in doing so how can they deny the existence of those texts that we have all seen and heard well the Right, they they come across 
and it seems though, and this is what I have said at uh, a last couple rallies, it appears as though that they are blind. How, how can you ignore something that is so obvious? And that's what the Bible says. The Bible does talk about how these, these people are, uh, actually he uses the word blind. And so the obvious things that, that you and I see, um, they don't see. And so if we would push this, uh, the combination of churchmen and statesmen, uh, they will begin to see that. Now, we're doing that to help them. Um, they, they don't see. So right now with all the school shootings and the mass shootings that are happening, well, I'm not, obviously, no one is for mass shootings. No one. Nobody wants that. Everyone would like to find a cure for that. Their ideas, being blind, produce nothing. So to eliminate guns would produce nothing. But you have to give them credit for trying, I suppose, and they're trying to do something. So what the, what the biblical person would propose is, all right, here, here's how you stop a 14-year-old kid from shooting up a school of fourth graders. You, you develop a God conscience in him from young age so that he comes to the point where he feels aggravated or whatever his motivations are. But down deep inside him, since he was a young child, he was taught, hey, God, who is good, is watching you. And you, you need to be careful on what you do because God always is watching you. He hears your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking before you even think them. And so in, in that order, that's why for a hundred years in our country, we didn't have school shootings. It's no accident that uh, the elimination of God and God conscience would produce uh, violence. So that's part of that. I'm sorry, please. No, that's all right. I was I was going to follow up on that. We're talking with Pastor Jeff Toring, who is the pastor Liberty Valley Church. Uh, You hear his uh, his commercials all the time. You can hear his sermons. You can also hear Time in the Vineyard on our sister station, which is uh, WHKW the twelve twenty the Word. Um, How long have you been preaching? Uh, I've been at this church now seventeen years, but I'm I'm in my twentieth year. I want to go into the little history here and ask you about God conscience that you just brought up, um, because in far, far, you know, many years before you and I, um, you know, going back into the just for the sake of it, say the fifties and the sixties, and even in the seventies, and even really into the eighties, you didn't have these these. Um, these young people committing these atrocities. It kind of started, I guess, the first one that kind of, you know, snapped everybody to attention was Columbine, which I believe was in 1999. Um, did we lose the God conscience, Pastor? That That's kind of where I'm, where I'm going with this, because I agree with you. Um, but we didn't used to have this. And did we lose the God conscience in young people? And if so, how? Why? What, 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 what made kids aware of those kinds of things to the point where, because guns were available then too. The same types of guns were available in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And in fact, kids used to drive to school with their guns in their, in their racks on their pickup truck and park in the parking lot. Right. And nobody right. blinked an eye. Because there, it's not about the guns; it's about what's happening in people's lives and in their hearts, and and again, maybe in their churches. I don't know. But but did did we lose the God conscience, and how? Yes, and so and you can see it even in our landscape, Bob. If you go into older towns, into the center of town, what is the one object that is normally found in the center of town? It's the church. 
the church was even, the building was located in the very center of older towns. Now, if you want to build a church, you're lucky to get a permit on the outskirts of town. And so the the whole society is based on the fact that we have to govern ourselves. And so that that's part of, you know, what our thing, um, you know, our platform is for this tent revival of Patriot Revival is God wants us to govern ourselves because a man left to himself is going to naturally be greed, lust, and envy, and tyranny. You, you cannot have a government <clears throat> that doesn't continue without God and not fall into tyranny because that's human nature is greed, lust, and envy. And so whether it's school shootings or abortion or just liberty in general, God wants us to govern ourselves, and in order for that to happen, we have to have that God conscience inside us saying, no, you you don't do that. You want to do that, but don't do that. Uh, And that shapes the society, and that that fixes all the ills. And speaking of guns, I have a picture uh, of a a 1956 public school. Uh, They were teaching gun safety. They had a 12-year-old boy in school with a rifle. Unbelievable. That's how that's how the times have changed, and then yeah. I know that you're fully aware of that, and you're sounding it off. But but if the church doesn't get involved and start uh, making our stand, th- there is no more Calvary coming. We're talking to Pastor Jeff Toring of uh, Liberty Valley Church. Um, he's got a huge Patriot Tent Revival meeting coming up this Sunday, and I'll ask you times and, and location about all that in a second. Um, you and I have also talked about the decline of uh, the faithful, at least in terms of congregations and churches, whether they be Catholic churches or, or Protestant churches or Baptist churches or, or any others, non-denominationals. It's just, it's almost becoming, and I guess this is what Satan, if he were, if he were to drop a game plan, he would like to have happen quite frankly, but it's almost becoming embarrassing and somewhat taboo to admit your faith, much less to proselytize and to publicly, you know, display it. Um, how do we get a God conscience back in a culture that has almost made God and godliness something to be mocked? Now, that that is the subject that goes back to masculinity. So the reason that the, uh, the churches are de- decreasing and declining is because the femininity, the masculinity, is, is being subtracted from the church. So an average man who is just an average guy with a little bit of brawn and, and a little bit of testosterone, uh, looks at what's being taught at that church and says, that's not for me. So the males, then, are, are no longer interested in what's happening at the church, which is common You have if you have a church function in your average church. Uh, women show up and no men show up. So what we're doing is we're reinstalling the way that it used to be, uh, the brawn. We're not politically correct. We talk and think like regular men, just average regular men. And in so doing, it attracts other men, and then you gather momentum. But the way that the church is decreasing is is they're following the culture, which is let's 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 accuse it all of uh, toxic masculinity and things like that. And the truth is, men are born with a hunting spirit within them. They're born that way. They're born to protect. They're born to be brawny, and that's their natural bent. 
But if the church starts talking about what Jesus actually said about John the Baptist, he said, what did you come out to expect? A man in soft raiment? No. John the Baptist came thundering out, wearing uh, uh, looking like a madman from the mountains. And that was the attraction uh, to gather up the men. Pastor Jeff Toring, uh, terrific insights. I really appreciate you discussing all of this with us. By the way, I would be remiss if I didn't have a member of the clergy uh, just give me your overall reaction. What were your What were your feelings last Friday when you heard the announcement of the overturn of Roe? <clears throat> I, I thought it was an absolute miracle. I, I would not expect, I would have never expected this court, especially with John Roberts at the helm, I, I I would have never expected uh, that to happen. I mean, the, I, I was totally shocked, which means then uh, we have just seen the hand of God move. If that, if that lasted since the 70s, and we have only declined and spiraled downward for it to be overturned now, um, shows us that um, there's always hope for revival, and there's always hope for the Republic. Tell us more about Sunday. Where, when, uh, and any requirements uh, of being there at the uh, Patriot Tent Revival? Uh, It's Sunday morning at 10 a.m. If you want a seat, you're going to have to get there early. Uh, Actually, even parking may become uh, a little bit challenging, but we'll find a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. um, We're going to do it out in an old-fashioned tent, so there's no requirements. Just come, bring your Bibles, and uh, get ready to, uh, and I'll put together a, a patriotic sermon. And again, it'll be teaching uh, on why the churchmen and the statesmen must combine in order for us to grab these victories. And this will be at the church, uh, on the church property? Yes, yeah, so the church oh. is located in Northfield, and it's uh, 9851 Old 8 Road. Uh, right up there in Northfield near the Roxino. Got it. I just wanted to make sure that uh, there wasn't a different location. I knew it was going to be in a tent and then not in the church. I just didn't know where that tent was going to be. So it's going to be right there on yeah. church property. Got it. That's what <laughs> right I Right on the know. church grounds. Yeah, Got we it. bought a 20-acre farm. We're going to do it over there. And then afterward, we're going to have uh, uh, food and hot dogs and some uh, explosives. Uh, wonderful. It sounds like a tremendous time. <laughs> pa- Pastor Jeff Toring, Liberty Valley Church. Pastor Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. I really always enjoy your uh, your 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 preaching, your sermons, and even the sixty second commercials gives us just a little bit of a taste of what you do in your in your sermons and makes people want more. I know I feel that way. So thank you for giving us more, and thank you so much for uh, the time. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful event on Sunday. You too. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, Pastor Jeff Toring. It's ten twenty four. I'll be right back. Okay, 1027. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, thanks again to Pastor Jeff Toring. I told you we're busy today. We're going to talk to Christina Hagen coming up after the bottom of the hour news. Uh, this is our last show, of uh, of course, uh, before Independence Day. We're going to be off on Monday. We have a best-of show planned for you then. And uh, hopefully you'll tune in anyway as you uh, prepare to celebrate with your cookouts or whatever it is you have planned for Independence Day on Monday. This one is a little bit off the grid. It's a little bit uh, in departing from many of the things we've been talking about today. But... This video surfaced yesterday. I don't know exactly where he was at this event, 
But this video surfaced yesterday, courtesy of Vice News. It's Joe Biden uh, offering his thoughts and his opinions on felonies and which ones should be prosecuted. And you're going you're gonna to be stunned, I think, when you hear what he says. You only arrest for the purpose of dealing with a felony that's committed, and I don't count drunk driving as a felony. You, uh, you catch that? You only arrest people for felonies, first of all. He, 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 did he say that? Right? You only arrest for the purpose of dealing with a felony. You only arrest for the purpose of dealing with a felony. Now, unless I'm misunderstanding his language, that means misdemeanor crimes are not to be arrested. Misdemeanor crimes are to be accepted. Not arrested, not pursued, not prosecuted. So unless you are being a felon, you don't have to worry about arrests in Joe Biden's book. But that's only part one. Part two... That's committed, and I don't count drunk driving as a felony. Did you just say what I think you said? Drunk driving as a felony. One more time. And I don't count drunk driving as a felony. You what? And I don't count drunk driving as a felony. One person in the year 2021, last year, one person died as the result of a drunk driving collision every 52 minutes. Every 52 minutes. I looked up the deaths, the drunk driving deaths, the statistics, federal statistics. They were readily available for anybody to check. People die every 52 minutes because of drunk driving. And Joe Biden says, And I don't count drunk driving as a felony. And I don't count drunk driving as a felony. And I don't count drunk driving as a felony. That's your president. That's your president. I don't know if I can claim him as mine. Hey, uh, it's 1030 and it's time for news, but while we're in the news break, how about you hop on whkradio.com, click on Northeast Ohio Deals. At the top of the page, you see a little banner there? Summer sale, massive summer sale. Tremendous sponsors and partners of WHK are available there, including Parma Armory. If you want your family to learn how to shoot, how to protect, or just to target shoot for fun, archery or firearms, The annual family membership for firearms and archery from the Parma Armory Shooting Center has been discounted from $800 for the whole family to $299. What? No, it's not a misspeak. It's not a misprint. You'll see it for yourself. Go to uh, whkradio.com. Click on Northeast Ohio Deals Summer Sale. Click Parma Armory. $800 before for the whole family. $299. There are only three left. Three left. So, in other words, after those three are sold, they're not going to give that deal to anybody else. So you want to get one of those? Get it now. WHKradio.com. Right back after the news. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always write radio with Bob France and the answer. We are always reasonable here on AM 1420 The Answer and on Always Right Radio. By the way, there's something you need to see. 
Johnny, you probably haven't even seen it yet on alwayswrite.us. Um, there's a press conference that was held recently. The Babylon Bee has exclusive video of it. There's a press conference with Satan himself. Uh, it's a couple of minutes long, uh, and there is video of it from the Bee. And it's uh, it's right now. It's on uh, alwayswrite.us. Check it out for yourself on alwayswrite.us. Bring tissue because <laughs> you're probably gonna you're probably gonna cry uh, laughing so hard. Uh, it could not be better done. It could not be more impressive. It could not be more deadpan. It's just so good. Satan responds to the Roe versus Wade overturned by the Supreme Court. It's right underneath the sound off button right now. The video is at alwayswrite.us. If you haven't been there yet, it's right under. So it's on the right side. You'll see the station logo. Uh, then you'll see the sound off button, and then you're going to see the video. Uh, take a look at it. I think you will be impressed, and you will enjoy it as much as I did. It's just terrific. Uh, let's bring in uh, Christina Hagen now as we continue our cavalcade of guests on this Friday edition of Always Right Radio. Christina Hagen is a current member of the Ohio Elections Commission. She is a former member of the Ohio State House, and she is now our regular Friday commentator. Has been for several months now on AM 1420, The Answer. Christina, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Bob. I um, am well in spite of the enemy giving interviews to the Babylon Bee, but it seems uh, pretty accurate. I saw pieces of that and thought um, how strikingly relevant it was in this moment. Oh, my goodness. It's so really, really is. Uh, I, I, I Normally, I wouldn't promote something like that, but I have to tell you, I, it. you know what? I don't apologize for it, though, Christina, and since you've seen part of it, you, you can speak to this, too. I mean, we often talk about the evil nature of, you know, those who have no problem with dismembering and torturing and killing babies inside the womb and, and declaring them to be non-humans, non-persons with rights until they pass through the birth canal, which somehow, I guess, magically confers humanity upon them. Um, how satanic it is. We talk about it in those terms. Demonic forces and so on and so forth. Inspired by evil. Well, all this is is, is the Babylon Bee's way of saying, you know what, this is what the devil would be saying right now because his work is being undone uh, and, and in part by those five Supreme Court justices. So I, I don't apologize for it at all. I think it's very, very accurate and it's very, um, you know, well-intended. Yeah, absolutely. I felt um, certainly the depth of the spiritual disparity and you can you can see it, you know, people becoming topless, people hissing, people cursing, people attacking things, burning things, um, breaking things, and all in the spirit of um, providing a voice to oneself over the innocents being slaughtered. I mean, this stuff I saw regularly in the state legislature when I advocated for the innocent unborn and also for their mothers. Um, you know, I was pushed. I was spit at. Uh, as I mentioned, cussed at, hissed at, you name it, all extremely immensely demonic by a lot of people who were just um, flailing about trying to figure out who they're supposed to be without the right to murder another human being. It is absolutely demonic. Yeah, and sometimes it, you have to laugh so you don't cry. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and I think this will make you do both. You will laugh yourself crying. That's what I did. <laughs> or you will cry laughing, however you want to say that. Uh, it was, it is that funny. And again, the actor that they had there is just so perfect with his deadpan delivery. Anyway, having said all of that, here's another actor doing something, uh, far more dangerous to the United States. We're not insure Russian ships carrying oil. We would not provide insurance for them. So they would have great difficulty getting customers. Uh oh. 
Network error caused this media download to fail partway. Apologies, we got cut off there. Um, Joe Biden at uh, the end of the G7 summit in Madrid, Spain yesterday, talking about um, what's wrong with his country. Publicly and on the world stage, declaring that the United States uh, Supreme Court is illegitimate, uh, that they have completely uh, uh, made wrong decisions here, uh, declared publicly that the... uh, uh, Democrat-run Congress should change the filibuster rule uh, for uh, the, uh, the ability to codify Roe versus Wade so they can get the right to kill those babies back again. And then he also proceeded to tell Americans, when asked by a reporter, how long we can expect to have to pay nearly $5 a gallon or more for gas. And his answer was, until Russia is defeated. Um, some of those are mind-blowing, Christina Hagan, and I know you've got thoughts. Take it away. Yeah, as he relates to gas prices, saying that Americans will have to deal with it for however long it takes. Um, this is the same president um, who held the position of the majority of Americans on the issue of abortion um, a matter of years ago. The same president who said himself that life begins at conception. The same president voted when he was in the Senate to let states overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, the same president, I watched it come directly out of his mouth and eclipse its resurfaced, who believed abortion was always a tragedy and not a choice or a right, and as recent as the year of 2006. This president is now declaring war on our own country as our commander-in-chief, telling the world that we are um, without, without help. Um, we are absolutely broken, irreversibly so. Um, they're putting out government offices that help direct small children on how they can both transition chemically and also access abortions without their parents' permission. Um, This is a complete chaos show. But the reality is he continues to want to direct our attention toward Ukraine and Russia um, as if though he has no basis for the price of gasoline. And I, you know, again, like every other reasonable person, can close my eyes and remember just a few short years ago um, the the freedom of standing next to our truck or SUV and filling up our gas tank and going to the grocery store immediately after, prior to having wearing masks, prior to inflation, not having to think of what we will scratch off our grocery list that is a necessity in order to afford the purchases at the grocery store to care for our family in the face of crippling price of fuel for our families. And they say it has nothing to do with us. Um, they ignore the fact that they've canceled drilling leases, canceled pipelines. They've limited domestic production. They've crushed um, the entire industry uh, with overwhelming regulation. And they've, on every front, discouraged energy investments and have made out those who are willing to make us energy independent to be bad actors and bad players. This is a bipolar, um, inconsistent, and in my opinion, demonic leadership, those who will say the opposite of what they know to be true in order to be in power um, should be the furthest away from power. And Joe Biden has ultimately compromised um, nearly every one of the principles he once stood for in order to presumably be the most powerful man in the, in the world. And even his White House advisor, Brian Hayes, says this is about the liberal world order. They are not going to back down on any of these divisive and destructive policies whether it's social or economic, they're going to continue to do everything that they're doing. And the reality is Ohio families shouldn't be paying for anything um, that has been described as our White House um, being the advancement of a future liberal world order. It is truly insane at this point. 
Yeah, it it was astounding. If people did not hear that, what Christina Hagen just said is not overstated or exaggerated or hyper hyperbole. It is exactly what was said. It's you could you can just almost tell that he tripped and said the quiet part out loud here, talking about Brian Deese. Listen to this. Families who say, "Listen, we can't afford to pay four eighty five a gallon for months, if not years. This is just not sustainable." Well, what you heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. The what? Articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order. Did, did you hear that? It's about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. But at the same time, what I'd say to that family and to Americans across the country is you have a president administration that is going to do everything in its power to blunt the, those price increases and bring those prices down. Christina, that's the most frustrating thing about it. We hear that on a daily basis from Corinne Jean-Pierre. The president is doing everything he can. What is he doing uh, to bring the prices down? Other than going to, to Saudi Arabia and Venezuela and other uh, bad actors, uh, you know, uh, you know, nations with which we have at least uh, very strong disagreements like Saudi Arabia or who are flat-out enemies like Iran or, or, or Venezuela, uh, you know, and, and beg them to pump more oil because their politics won't be harmed by, or their politicians won't be harmed by their people. Whereas if he orders more oil being drilled, more being refined, more fracking being done, et cetera, et cetera, here, he knows he will pay a political price. That's the bottom line here. And they said the quiet, quiet part out loud. We need to protect the liberal world order. That is a complete surrender of national sovereignty if you are essentially pledging fealty to globalism. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, we're heading into the 4th of July weekend. And for those of us who love this country and love our freedoms and love the opportunity to prevail against the entire world order, this statement should be sobering beyond reason. This is about the liberal world order, what we know and have known to be true as conservatives, that they are exposing every turn of the way. They have now plainly stated to the American press, and it has been viewable by all of us. So I, we have to reverse course. We have to save this country. We have to get these people, these elitists, these crazies, as far away from power as humanly possible because they're going to continue to destroy the country. Um, the time they have left here, obviously, the border crisis is an additional example of that. They want to continue to undermine our vote and our ability to even remove them if we want to. Um, it's this is this is real stuff, and people need to be paying attention, need to be awake. You need to remember the statement directly out of the White House advisor. This is about the liberal world order, period. Yep. It's an astounding uh, admission. We're talking to Christina Hagan, our regular uh, Friday commentator on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's stay on the president here for just a second. Um, an overwhelming survey uh, just came out. Um, it was put out by the Associated Press, conducted rather, by the Associated Press and NORCC Center for Public Affairs Research. In other words, it's not a Fox News poll. It's not a Rasmussen poll. It's not conservative or push polling in any way, shape, or form. It's the AP. And here's what I found. 85%, not 55, 55 to 45 would be still a crazy bad number for the president if 55% of U.S. adults said the country is on the wrong, on the wrong track. But it's not 55. It's 85% 
and 79% of them describe the economy as poor. And this includes Democrats. 67% of them call the economic conditions in this country poor. So an overwhelming number of Americans of all political stripes uh, and demographics have described this country as going in the wrong direction. And when Joe Biden was asked about that very question, Christina Hagan, I want you to hear this and respond to it. They do not think that. You haven't found one person one world leader to say America's going backwards. America's better positioned to lead the world than we ever have been. We have the strongest economy in the world. Our inflation rates are lower than other nations in the world. The one thing that has been destabilizing is the outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court of the United States in overruling not only Roe v. Wade, but essentially challenging the right to privacy. So this is these were the remarks, Christina, before he talked about Russia, Russia, Russia being to blame for all of the gas prices. But he literally said that people don't think America is going in the wrong direction. Apparently, nobody wrote it out on one of his big, large font note cards, his little cheat sheets that he uses when he speaks, and said, 85% of Americans think we're going in the wrong direction, sir. Nobody bothered to tell him. Your thoughts? My thoughts are that this is a normal Democrat playbook. Just lie and um, assert your opinion over the actual will, the actual reality of common Americans, 85% of which were polled, that do agree wholeheartedly, regardless of political affiliation, that our country is not going in the right direction. They do not feel content with the state of the United States. They do not feel proud with the state of the United States. And I'm willing to just uh, take a gamble on the fact that this is because institutional powers like all of the corporations and the media outlets and the federal government, um, which Joe Biden is driving the head of, um, yeah, they may they may be speaking in liberal terms. They may be pro-abortion. They may be pro-assisted suicide. They may be killing of innocents as advocacy. They may be for transitioning young school children. They may be for men and girls' sports. They may be for the destroying of nuclear families. They may be for pushing the violence and destruction that all of us don't want. But the reality is the American people are with God. The American people are with all of the normal things that we used to take pride in. The American people are with let's not transition small children um, into something which they are biologically not. The American people are with let's not kill babies and have been advocating for so for 50 years. And now we're seeing that reflected in a civil way in policy in this country. It's true that um, the rulers of this world are not sound-minded. They are bowing to Malek. They are pushing an insane liberal agenda, and they're going to continue to ignore the majority of Americans. But it does not mean that they know what we're thinking nor what we're going to do next. And they need to remember who actually is in control of this country, and that is each and every one of us who are on the ground. Christina Hagan, last thing for you, even though we're a little past our time here, I spent um, the first uh, half hour of the show talking about this astounding statistic. I just gave you the statistics on uh, uh, the direction of the nation, but Fox News commissioned a poll back uh, in the second week of June, so it's a couple weeks old, but they're just reporting it now because it's Independence Day weekend. And that poll was on American pride, asking Americans um, whether or not they are proud of their country. And the last time they did such a poll was in 2017, so five years ago. There has been a precipitous drop in the answer, yes, 
from the people who have been surveyed. Only 39% of the American survey. Now, there are other numbers I don't have time to give you now in terms of demographics, party, etc. But overall, 39% of Americans say they are proud of their country. Um, I found that to be uh, just just demoralizing. And I find it to also be um, you know, proof that the Democrats are winning that the left is working. What they are doing is is bearing fruit. They are trying to teach children. They are trying to teach adults. They are trying to teach everyone that this country was founded on evil, it, that, it, that it continues to be irredeemably and systemically racist and oppressive and unfair um, and, and, and beyond. Um, I, it's the only reason I think I can think that 39% of the American population, at least you know, according to a survey, 39% is how it uh, translates out, would say they are not proud of this country, which continues to be the envy of the world and the destination for migrants from countries all over the world. Yeah, I'll give you the half glass empty and the half glass full, but the optimistic side in me says that people are not proud of this country because of the nasty, radical policies that have been pushed on them and their children. The same things that have taken the work ethic that made our country great, the desire to be first-generation immigrants who took pride in being in this country and wanted to be a part of it, that wanted to engage in it instead of um, allowing mass immigration that has completely undermined the desire and the excitement of coming to this country um, for the right to be free. I believe that the reason people are disenchanted is because they have robbed the moral compass of this country and have done this intentionally so through decades of brainwashing of children. I talked to a mother yesterday, as recent as yesterday evening at about 9 p.m., who told me that her adult daughter doesn't even want to have her uterus in her body. She's so um, enraged by everything that's going on. She never wants children. She wants her, her body to be completely different in order to live a different life where she doesn't even have to run the risk of having a children. That's not the America my parents raised me in, and I'm only 34 years, three years old, almost 34. I I love my kids. I want to raise my kids here. I want them to experience freedom. I want them to experience pride in their work. I want them to experience opportunity at its fullest. Yet we've had a generation of children be brainwashed in the most evil of ways to believe that this country that is a light for the entire world is full of racism and division and devastating um, untruths about our freedom. Um, Now, the half-empty side is that, yeah, They've succeeded. They've succeeded. But I believe people are disenchanted because of the reality, not because they don't love this country. But probably the younger generation, they have successfully brainwashed to believe that they don't need to work. They don't need to have output. They don't need to have um, any building blocks in their life whatsoever as far as building a family or building a future. That we're such a distraught and disrupted country that there's nothing good to be had here. And that's such a devastating reality to even think about these young kids who have no direction and no desire to move forward. I just pray that that is the extreme minority and we see more of it on social media than the reality. But they have succeeded in some instances to make children believe that, you know, the tearing down of statues, the constant attack on normal American institutions like the nuclear family and same sex marriages all designed for this purpose and this moment of achievement that they can wear as a badge of honor that they have um, dropped us 30 points in the approval of Americans um, in less than 13 years since 2011 when we are 30 points higher for satisfaction and pride in our country. That can be owned by the Democrat Party.
Christina Hagen joining us. Uh, Christina, always appreciate your insights. Thanks very much. I hope you have a wonderful uh, um, Independence Day weekend with your family, and we'll talk to you again next week. You too, Bob. God bless. Thank you. God bless you too. It's 1058, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, 11 minutes after 11 o'clock on AM 1420, The Answer. A little bit late coming back in because we were a little bit late getting out. I regret nothing. Terrific conversation and uh, analysis by Christina Higgin. We always appreciate that, too. If you missed any of the interviews thus far today... They will be posted for you up on our webpage, on the podcast page at whkradio.com and also at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. Uh, we've had a couple, or in fact, we've had three great interviews, and I know this one is going to match it, uh, or match them. You know, it's funny, we play that little clip there in the intro about the shot heard around the world. There are shots heard around the cities, all cities, major urban centers in this country right now at record rates. We're talking about violent crime, and it's not the guns firing themselves. That is not the issue here. The issue is the people wielding them. National spike in violent crime is shows no signs of abating whatsoever. Washington, D.C. recorded its 100th murder of the year last month, reaching that tragic mark faster than any year since 2003. Here in Cleveland, we have new homicide records, I think, every year for the last three years and counting. They're going up faster and faster and faster. We are seeing uh, people in Chicago uh, being shot while pushing baby carriages. We're seeing people in New York City. Uh, we're seeing people in Los Angeles. Like I said, America's largest and uh, most dangerous urban centers are just um, their war zones. Their war zones. What's causing this? What can be done to fix it? Well, that's why we're bringing on David Safavian. Uh, he is general counsel for the ACU. That's the American Conservative Union. Joining us now to break this down on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, sir. How are you? Well, good morning, Bob. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on this morning. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I'd be doing better if less of our uh, innocent civilians in American cities weren't being assaulted and and uh, and be, being victimized by violent criminals. Look, you're a former cop too, right? In addition to being a, a, an attorney, I, I am. I'm a former cop. I'm actually an ex offender. I spent ten and a half months in a prison thanks to uh, a scandal now when I was in the White House. But uh, I'm also general counsel at the ACU, and I've been all all across the criminal justice spectrum here. Uh, I've seen it from the inside, the outside, and, you know, on the street. And we've never seen it as bad. At, well, we haven't seen it in my adult lifetime as bad as mm-hmm. it's been. You know, we we'll look at Cleveland. About it from Cleveland. The, 
I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, the reason I asked you if, uh, about your former uh, uh, being a police officer, a former police officer, you know, is the war on cops is real. And it didn't start with George Floyd. The war on cops started long before that. We can go all the way back to, of course, Michael Brown and Freddie Gray and a number of high profile incidents in which cops were blamed for things that they did not do wrong. Now, that's not to say no cop has ever made a mistake or no cop has ever been guilty of doing something, you know, uh, intentional. Uh, that was that was uh, against the law and 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 harmed or or killed uh, a suspect uh, in a manner that is inappropriate. But generally speaking, cops have been targeted for the better part of the almost a decade now, and I talk to them all the time. I speak at police functions, and and I know what they're going through. They're afraid to go out there and actually do patrol. They're almost sitting there waiting for radio calls only because if they go and actively patrol, they're going to be uh, accused of profiling. They're going to be accused of excessive force or unnecessary uh, contact and so forth. So what are you seeing and what are you hearing from, you know, your former colleagues, the ones who still wear the badges? hundred percent. Uh, you know, you've identified one of the prime drivers of the spike in crime that we've seen across the country. Uh, when, when I went through the academy, the first thing they said in, in terms of tactics of patrol is you don't have the music radio up, you have the music off, windows down, you drive the street, you talk to people, you listen to the street, you do what's called community policing. Right. Pretty pretty simple and straightforward. You know, in the aftermath of, uh, and let's be candid, the left has, has targeted police officers for, for, you know, you make a good point, pretty much the last decade. Um, and when you're under the gun, when you were scrutinized the way they are, and everybody can be an armchair quarterback, the most obvious reaction and predictable reaction is you roll up the windows, you drive around in circles. And when people, when police officers are not engaged with their community, that's when violent crime spikes. And that's what is causing a large part of what we see today is, you know, they have, they have reaped, we are reaping what they have sown following particularly George Floyd, I think Freddie Gray, uh, a little bit more of a questionable call. Michael Brown, you know, totally righteous shooting, but they, they tried to pin it on the cops. This is exactly what was predicted when they started doing the defund the police and the ACAB and all this mm-hmm. other in absolute insanity coming from our friends on the left. Yeah, and, and you know what's really frustrating, uh, it, you know, David, is here in Cleveland, they haven't even been defunded, and yet they are being um, essentially eliminated. What I mean by that is there are roughly 200 police below budgeted staffing in the city of Cleveland. Budgeted, that means the money is already outlay, laid out for them. The money is there. They just have to fill those spots with men in uniforms, and they can't get them. They can't get them. They can't recruit them fast enough. They can't get them through academies. They can't get them into the into the system fast enough to fill the vacancies as people leave the profession, as as officers fearing either going to prison for something they didn't do or for a very tough, you know, split second call that they have to make. That if somebody decides is right, they're okay, and if not, they're they're going to jail or they're going to end up in a box. Um, they can't well, look, recruit and, them fast enough. Go ahead. And and you know the point you make, you know, Cleveland, our our count was or 187 officers under strength. You know, people are retiring and quitting faster than you can refill the refill the slots. And the biggest problem that I think goes underreported is this: a new recruit fresh out of the academy is not the same as losing a 20-year vet. That's right. right. So you're getting more junior, more inexperienced officers who are going to make mistakes. We all do. Uh, and, you know, you've got your more seasoned, more skilled, uh, and wiser police officers that are either just retiring outright or they're moving out to the suburbs. Either way, people at Cleveland are paying the price.
Yeah, there's no question about that. So let, let's talk about some of the other issues here beyond the, the, the war on cops and the intent to uh, to defund and so forth. We're talking with uh, ACU, American Conservative Union General Counsel David Safavian. Uh, am I saying that right, Safavian? Okay, I want to make sure I wasn't getting around. Um, so let's talk about let's talk about uh, prosecutors. Let's talk about uh, the George Soros uh, funded left wing prosecutors that have decided to essentially not prosecute crimes that they don't deem to be serious enough. They don't deem to be uh, and and almost always out of concern for equity, equity in the criminal justice system. We don't want to put too many people of one race in uh, you know behind bars or being charged. So therefore, we're going to let them get away with certain things. We're going to give no cash bail so that we don't have to uh, these people don't have to sit in jails while they wait for their cases to be heard San Francisco County just literally uh, uh, recalled Chesa Boudin, one of the uh, one of these left wing prosecutors who was allowing the crime to spike there and not doing anything to to uh, uh, to stop it. And now uh, George Gascon in L.A. County is doing the same thing. He's facing a recall there as well. So the people, even in left wing uh, and generally Democrat uh, run cities, they're tired of their of their uh, their their towns and cities and centers becoming war zones like this. Well, look, Bob, even progressives want to be safe. You know, for, for those of your listeners that don't don't know a whole lot about George Soros, he is a left-wing socialist billionaire. And he figured something out. He's a smart guy. He figured out that a little money to elect his type of prosecutors will go a heck of a long way. And so since uh, 2018, he's pumped $40 million into 75 prosecutors' races. He has 75 left-wing district attorneys. And you've hit it right on the head, Bob. Uh, they, they, you know, as they prioritize what they want to do, they focus on things like immigration justice, environmental justice, economic justice, now abortion justice, right? You've got them saying, I'm not going to prosecute any abortion crime. That's right. They prioritize all those things before they get to public safety. Now, we can all have a debate about criminal justice reform. I tend to be of the view that you don't need to have draconian sentences to hold people accountable. But if you don't prioritize justice first, People on the street are going to see what's going on, and and you know that is the secondary cause of, cause of of the spike in crime after the police officers issues. You've got guys that are literally building a revolving door, not literally, figuratively building a revolving door in and out of prison or in and out of jails because they don't believe in cash bail. That is the most ridiculous thing on the planet. Now, our view: if you're a low-level misdemeanor. Forcing somebody to put up a bond doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense because you're not going to run. And if you're charged with a misdemeanor, you're not a violent criminal. But saying we're not going to impose cash bail makes zero sense. We've got a guy in New York who has been who has been charged 124 times for retail theft because he goes into CVS and he steals a whole bunch of makeup and he throws it out and puts it out on the streets. They have not been able to secure him on a cash bond in New York because of their crazy left-wing bail stuff. These prosecutors, here's, here's a, a quick point. 75 Soros-funded prosecutors cover about 20% of the nation's population, yet 40% of the homicides in the country have taken place in those same jurisdictions, and wow. 33% of the property crimes have taken place in those jurisdictions. That's all I need to know, to know that their approach to criminal justice doesn't work. They are not accomplishing public safety. They are putting their constituents at risk. So it's no surprise that the voters and Crazy left-wing San Francisco and almost as crazy left-wing L.A. are getting ready to recall their guys. 
We're talking to a David Safavian, general counsel at uh, the ACU. That's the American Conservative Union. You're talking, of course, about Bragg in New York, so that's another one. And their prosecutor, you know, it's funny, we're talking about cops fleeing. Prosecutors are, too, by the dozens uh, in, in uh, most of those big cities like that. They don't want to work in a place where they're not allowed to prosecute, where they're not allowed to do what they're supposed to do uh, in the interest of public safety. So they can't even keep uh, assistant prosecutors on staff uh, losing 10, 20, 30 percent of their of their uh, prosecutive uh, prosecution forces. Um, let me ask you about this, the impact of this kind of mindset on crime in America. Now, this isn't necessarily violent crime to the extent that intentional shootings, robberies, assaults, rapes, etc. But I just want you to listen to this from Joe Biden and give me your thoughts. You only arrest for the purpose of dealing with a felony that's committed, and I don't count drunk driving as a felony. Two parts to that. Uh, one, you only arrest for felonies. Number one, which is exactly what many of these uh, DAs we're talking about are, are implementing. They're not going to prosecute. They don't want to be chasing people who do smash and grab and whatnot. But you only arrest for felonies. And, oh, by the way, drunk driving isn't a felony in Joe Biden's world. Um, I, I made a point earlier on before you came on. I, did the, I didn't do the research. I just looked it up. It's federal statistics. One person in the year 2021, last year, one person was killed in a drunk driving collision every 52 minutes in this country. And Joe Biden, our president, says drunk driving is not a felony. What do you say to that? Well, uh, let me let me start with your earlier question first, which is <clears throat> not arresting misdemeanors. I think you know we have to have a, a there. There is a reasonable debate about how long somebody should serve in prison. Right? What's enough time to teach them a lesson, hold them accountable, yet still not over overpopulate prisons and essentially bankrupt municipalities, jurisdictions, and states? Right. But. You have to hold everybody accountable for their actions, and that does mean arresting people who are convicted or who are who have who have broken the law, even if it's a misdemeanor. Now, there are diversion programs for you know young kids who make mistakes, veterans, people who are suffering from mental health issues. Nothing. I, I'm not discounting those programs, but if you go out and you intentionally break the law. Even if it's a misdemeanor, you have to face the consequences. If you don't hold people accountable, one, it drives the voters crazy, but two, it encourages more crime, and it encourages an escalation in crime. Joe Biden is dead wrong, but he is listening to George Soros and his, and his progressive funders when he says that. Now, going to, going to drunk driving, look, drunk driving is a huge problem. It is a public safety threat. Does it rise to the level of what one would consider a violent crime? In some jurisdictions, it does. Does it rise to the level of felony? In some jurisdictions, it does, but not all. I think it's a little bit of an overstatement to say, well, drunk driving is a harmless crime. It's not harmless. We have to hold people accountable. The question is, how much? Uh, what is the p- appropriate penalty for driving drunk? Does it mean 10 years in prison? I think no one would say that a 10-year charge for a first-time drunk driver makes a whole lot of sense. But you have to hold them accountable. That probably means jail time. You know, the thing that we have seen, data support this. It's not the length of the sentence that largely deters the crime. It is the certainty of being charged, the certainty of facing uh, at least some potential time, and, uh, you know, swift, certain, and proportional sanctions. Those are the things that stop crime. You can't go out and say, well, we're not going to charge drunk drivers. We're not going to charge prostitutes. We're not going to charge abortion doctors. You can't make those categorical categorical decisions. That's the problem with the Soros prosecutors. They are substituting their judgment for the judgment of the legislature. And my view is 
Every prosecutor who takes the oath of office takes the office to faithfully execute the laws. And the people that make those categorical decisions, whether it's Chester Boudin, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, Bragg in New York, Eli Savitt up in Ann Arbor, uh, those people are one. violating their oath. They are violating their oath of office. And that's why Larry Krasner is facing impeachment. Yeah, Van, that's that's a great that's a great point. Uh, these are all reasonable and common sensible approaches to this incredible spike in violent crime. Uh, it's just too bad nobody on the left wing is listening, and they're not even listening to the, their their constituents. They're not listening to their citizens, their residents who are being victimized in extraordinary uh, numbers. Uh, they 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 have more important things in mind, and that is satisfying DEI uh, quotas, and that is uh, essentially well, largely what is leading to all of this. Um, ACU General Counsel uh, David Safavian, thank. Thank you so much for lending your insight to all of this. I appreciate it. I hope we can talk again. Will do. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, sir. All right. It's 1126. We'll take that time out now. Come right back on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. It was a teenage wedding and they Yeah, the... Um, Conversation with David, by the way, if you missed any of that, you, wow, talk about a guy who's, who's got it all uh, together. He's, he's general counsel for the American Conservative Union. He's got all of the statistics. He's got, he's got all of the facts. He's got all of the issues that have led to this violent crime spike. And the answers, honestly, are not that difficult. It's just a matter of having the courage to elect the right officials in the DA's offices uh, and, quite frankly, the mayor's as well, uh, who appoint police chiefs to make sure that people can, uh, or that these individuals can, uh, go back to what we were doing when our streets were safe. And, I, and the one element I didn't talk to David about, just super quick to wrap this before the news, I didn't talk about the racial aspect. Could have. Didn't. But you know as well as I do that the most over-victimized part of the population, whenever police stop policing and whenever uh, uh, district attorneys stop uh, actually holding people accountable for their crimes, <clears throat> the overwhelming number of victims are in the African-American population. They are targeted the most because that is the na- those are the neighborhoods where uh, the criminals are living. Generally speaking, white crime happens in white neighborhoods, white perpetrators and white victims. Black crime happens in black neighborhoods with black victims. And black crime is overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly um, uh, driving the spike in crime statistics. So you want to find a way to protect black people? You believe black, ma- uh, black lives matter? Okay, prove it. Support cops in black neighborhoods and stop accusing them of profiling because they're there trying to save and protect black victims. That's their job. Support them and support um, prosecutors doing their jobs without concerns about diversity quotas and about equity. Let them arrest criminals because they're criminals. And discount race as a factor. You start talking about that, you'll start saving lives. Black lives, brown lives, all lives, which is exactly as it should be. I'll be right back. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. I don't think I can play my song now. I just want to listen to this. I was going to do my gasoline. <clears throat> I haven't played it in a while. 
Christina Hagan and I talked about gas prices. Biden saying, get used to it. You're going to have to pay it as long as it takes to stop Russia. He literally said that yesterday. I was going to give you my gasoline, but now it's patriotic. It's, it's Independence Day weekend. i got to sit here and listen to this. How can I turn this off? Old Hickory said we could take them by surprise. If we didn't fire muskets till we looked them in the eyes. We held our fire till we seemed to face as well. Then we opened up the squirrel guns and really gave them well. We fired our guns and the British kept them coming. There wasn't as many as there was a while ago. We fired this is bringing back so many memories, maybe for you too. Down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. I used to listen to this as a kid. We grabbed an alligator and we fought another round. We filled his head with cannonballs and powdered his behind. And when we touched the powder off, the gator lost his mind. We fired our guns. Oh, my goodness. Independence Day weekend 2022. I hope you're not traveling. I hope you don't, you're not going anywhere because if you're going somewhere, you're not going to get very far. Not at five bucks a gallon, thanks to Brandon. Yeah, 20 and 5. There you go. That's it? Yes, sir. Uh, Look at 40. I pulled in to buy some gasoline. Highest prices I had ever seen. It's cheaper just to rent a limousine. Don't make enough to pay for my gasoline. Passing up is taken every time Never thought I'd ever see a time When fuel's considered cheap at 315 I can't afford to pay For my gasoline It's because of Russia Russia, Russia, Russia Yes, sir Fill her up They'll rob me blind before I drive away Gonna have to walk to work today Might have to sell my house and everything Just so that I can pay For my gasoline Russia, 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 Russia I drive out of my way For cheap gasoline Russia Russia, Russia, Russia. Somebody help me pay. I got to tell you, we have some of the most creative uh, people in the radio industry in the city of Cleveland working here. Dale Officer with, uh, I'd never even heard of, I don't think, my green tambourine. I know a lot of other people have, and they can really appreciate that, but a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Uh, by our crew. Dale Officer is just a creative genius. Johnny Hiles does a lot of our voices and singing uh, simply amazing stuff. So, um, Independence Day weekend, I would like you to do a couple of things. Uh, obviously, please celebrate and enjoy your liberty. Celebrate and enjoy your independence, that which has been given to us, but do not take it for granted. Uh, we think about it 
and, and I want you to, like I said, two things. Number one is, is to actually think about what happened on July 4, 1776, what it meant to the world, what it means to you today, all of the blood that has been sacrificed and, and uh, uh, all of the lives that have been lost in order to protect and preserve our independence. And I want you to think about what it's going to take to keep it. The second thing I want you to do over this Independence Day weekend is consider whether or not you still do have that pride in this country. I started the show with it this way. It's only appropriate that I end the show with this. That survey that was done that showed only 39% of the American population right now, 39% count themselves as being proud of this country. Patriotism is on the decline. I don't think it's an accident. I think it is intentional. I think it's exactly what the left has been working toward. You cannot fundamentally tear down a country and transform it the way Barack Obama uh, outlined the Democrats' plan to do it without making people stop defending it. And when will people stop defending a country? When they lose their pride in it. Don't let them take that away from you. Don't let them convince you this country is anything less than the greatest force for good in the history of human civilization, because that's what it is. And that's what I want to leave you with. There'll be a best of show on Monday, Independence Day. We're back live on Tuesday. We'll see you then. Be safe. Let's go, Brandon. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.